Thank you for joining me on this episode of Woke Women Writing. My name is Michaela. I am your host this evening slash afternoon or morning or whatever. Um, right now, if you're just joining us, us as in me, you're just joining me. Uh, I am reading this book called Unladylike by Christine Conger and Caroline Irvin, illustrated by Tyler Fida, if you know who she is. I like her a lot. And... Yeah, I just kind of like chat about each little chapter and what I've learned and try to share some hopefully good wisdom among you guys. And yeah, this book's actually quite informative. So maybe you will learn some new facts or new figures and have an opinion, either agree or disagree or whatever you want um, about your own opinion about these things. Um, every episode I like to kind of like talk about a little update for me, in case anybody cares. Um, yeah, this weekend was fine. Um, I just came back from a little church, small church gathering. And yeah, and then over the weekend I saw some friends, I saw my partner. So very social, but also I'm depressed. <laughs> and um, I'm taking much longer times than normal to like socially recharge and it's getting harder for me to get out of bed so that's fun um and I have a thesis due in less than a week so woot woot about that I hope all of your if you're a student I hope your studies are going well if you're a worker bee I hope all your work deadlines and responsibilities are going well and if you're just vibing and chilling and having a good time, I wish you the best in all of your endeavors and future endeavors. Okay, so let's get into this. This was chapter five of the book called Beauty Bargains, Concealers, Contours, and Statement Lips. This is kind of interesting. I'm sorry, I'm still a little bit depressed if I'm not as uh, chirpy as usual, and that is why. Okay. So, yeah, so this chapter we're talking about makeup and basically how we express ourselves in our, in our outside, outside looks. Yeah. Um, one of the first things I want to kind of talk about, um, when we're little, when we're little girls, uh, some of the first things that we are heard are like, my, aren't you pretty? You know? And, or like little boys, oh, aren't you a strong one? Aren't you whatever? And yeah, I feel like that's not not great as like a first, as a little kid. And like even in, what do you call it? Like clothing and um, things in like the Target section, like girls have like sugar spice and everything nice you know and and little boys have more like being swaddled and like tough and like you know more masculine clothes but anyway I think we've talked about that before but yeah like our earliest impressions of what prettiness is um and that grows as we look at ourselves in the mirror and that's one of the top things that like we are first introduced to as a kid it's like, oh, aren't you a pretty little girl? Oh, you know, instead of like, oh, aren't you a smart little girl? Things like that. And so back in the uh, 1970s, this is 
not super related, but this next point I'm going to make, and it's my podcast. Um, there was these ugly laws across the U.S. in San Francisco, and then in Portland, Denver, Denver New Orleans, and basically what these ugly laws, quote-unquote, um, it was like, it forbid visibly disabled people from panhandling, from asking for money in public spaces, um, and it wasn't, like, illegal for non-disabled people to be panhandling, so a little bit of discrimination there, uh, just to, like, avoid having to, like, see people with different bodies than our own in public spaces, and that's shitty, and it eventually did, um, the ugly laws started disappearing after World War One, but it wasn't until, uh, 1974 that Chicago became the last city to get rid of those, get rid of those laws, and then in 1991, the Americans with Disabilities Act passed on, but, yeah, basically just, it, it like, tried to come up with the point that, like, if people in higher-class societies even had to see people in poverty or with disabilities, that it would be somehow contagious and it'd be rubbed elbows with the wrong people, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, next, I want to talk about hair, and I really like talking about hair. My hair is a huge part of my identity and a huge part of, like, my self-expression, basically. Right now, I'm rocking a, rocking a pixie cut. Um, but, yeah. So, basically, I feel like woman's hair is, at least for me, is a big part of my identity. But a girl cutting her hair is seen as, like, very dramatic and very, like, movie montage moment. Um, yeah, so, like, let's talk about bobs. So, in the 20th century America, um which were, like, the rowing 20s, women had these short bob haircuts. If you think of, like, Daisy from The Great Gatsby, like, the, the movie, and the book as well, she she is rocking this blonde bob and looks great, and, you know, style it with earrings and whatnot. Um, yeah, and we were kind of, like, we didn't feel like styling and blow-drying our hair for super long during the 19th century uh, female suffrage. And that was, that was really cool. Yeah. And then, um, so in the 50s and 60s, a little bit different, in China, women had short hair, but not for their own personal reasons. Um, the Cultural Revolution kind of enforced a visual gender equality, quote-unquote, um, by not allowing women to have feminine identification as like braids or perms or anything like that and uh men and women had to look similar uh so that's why women's hair was short there and buzz cuts i had a buzz cut i miss my buzz cut i'm not gonna lie i I shaved my head a year ago i miss it but i also noticed that when i had a shaved head I felt the need to wear lipstick every day. I felt the need to wear earrings every day to dress a little bit more feminine. Um, or, like, wear bows, kind of, like, bow headbands. Because I didn't have any hair for, like, clips. Uh, 
And then when the pandemic hit, I stopped getting dressed. I stopped wearing makeup. And I just didn't look feminine at all. And I look at pictures at that time, I'm like, ooh. Eh, eh. But when I see women with buzz cuts around the city, I I miss it. But right now I'm rocking I'm rocking a pixie. And it's not bad. Yeah. Uh yeah, so and everyone was like, oh, are you pulling a Britney Spears? I said, no, I'm not pulling a Britney Spears. Let's be honest, I probably was pulling a Britney Spears. But, yeah. Um, in, so, but in Indian Hindu temples, they are a large, like, one of the largest, if not the largest, supplier of human hair. And by human hair, I mean human hair from India being sold in western cultures like the u.s predominantly and maybe europe as well um as like um i don't know if this is the correct term but like as like uh extensions or weaves or like to have longer hair to have human hair as extensions and these hindu women shave their head to practice something called tonsure, T-O-N-S-U-R-E, which is basically sacrificing their hair as uh, an offering to their gods. Uh, which is interesting, but also kind of like, huh, okay. And there's a very, very interesting documentary about all of this called, actually wrote it down for y'all, it's called Good Hair, and it's with Chris Rock. So you probably know Chris Rock, you know, the comedian, actor, the voice of the zebra from Madagascar, you know. Um, I think he's also the voice of Donkey in Shrek. Huh. Anyway. <laughs> he has a very interesting documentary about, basically about the culture of black hair and where it comes from and the... Um, yeah, it coming from India. Also, I think I remember him making the point that, like, because hair is such a, almost a currency in that society because it gets sold for so much money because it's so wanted by, you know, American women or European women in these beauty uh, parlors that Indian girls will, like, go to the movie cinemas and enjoy a nice time. And a stranger sitting behind them will sneakily cut off their hair and sell it. And then they'll leave the cinema and it's like, oh, where did my braids go? I wanted to give, I wanted to shave that when I was a little bit older for uh, my holy, my holy purposes. Like, um, religious purposes. Yeah. And in, what am I looking for? Um, after World War II, 20,000 French women were suspected of sleeping with German soldiers, and they were forcibly dragged into town squares and, like, publicly had their heads shaved as a form of, like, punishment and maybe embarrassment and basically public shame to, to, because they were sleeping with uh, the German soldiers. And in uh, Joan, Miss Joan of Arc, she shaved her head uh, with a buzz cut to desexualize her, to allow her to basically like pretend to be a man while she did all of her cool stuff. I want to Google Joan of Arc. I think she's 
interesting where I know nothing about it. Uh, yeah, so I like talking about hair. Uh, yeah, and so then if we go into black girl's hair, um, yeah, there was this, another Netflix show, I think, um, I should have Googled this one as well, and basically it was about Madam C.J. Walker, I'm glad I remember that name, Madam C.J. Walker, who created the first, or like one of the big companies um to help style black girls hair and to dismantle the supremacy that white girls hair is better than black girls hair you know and yeah there was some interesting facts about um different things so i wanted to uh, i thought this one was interesting how in 1968 a miss american protest happened on a cooney island and the NAACP held its first Miss Black America pageant in protest of Miss America pageants, which had a um, white-only policy, and in the fine print, it had contestants must be of good health and of the white race, which is kind of like, oof, 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 oof. Yeah. And, yeah, what else was there? Yeah, there was, um, in 1946, there was a black modeling agency, which is the first of its kind, and one of the first modeling agencies of any kind, and yeah, it only had black women being models, which is pretty cool for the 1940s, if you think about it. Yeah. So to move forward, the next section is talks about colorism. Um, yeah, and colorism um how do you say this like basing your opinion on somebody based on their color of the skin so similar to racism yeah and yeah back in the day in um 1920s around 1929 uh vogue had this magazine talking about white girls tanning and how tanning was seen as like the super trendy uh thing that was supposed to make you more beautiful it had a very high status sim- symbol um and it was supposed to do with make you different than like the working class farmer's tan but it was like a sun-kissed look and it even got like it was almost even like the sun being sunburnt um, not even suntan, but, like, getting a sunburn, uh, yeah, so that was glorified, and you even I had, like, doctor's seal of approval, of course, and saying that is a trendy treatment for depression, disease, and amazingly cancer, not like it would give you skin cancer or anything like that, but, yeah, and then, uh, Freaking what quick math 70 80 years later jersey shore came in to the tanorexia which is the unhealthy fear of losing your tan and yeah it was just crazy um yeah and just flipping flipping the page sorry 
Oh, and I wanted to talk about this quickly, which kind of goes into um, colorism. So, in... Uh, what is this? There was this saying in East Asia, a light-skinned aesthetic motto that one white covers up three uglinesses. So, like, you could have maybe a bad nose, bad eyebrows, big ears, or something, like even though that's not ugly, but whatever. But if you were white, that would that would make up for those unlikely, unlikable features, if you understand what I'm saying, even though they're not unlikable features. Yes, that was how um, girls were kind of told in, um, in East Asia. And then if you move back to the America, back in... Um, in slave time basically like darker skinned slaves were put out to work in the fields outside and lighter skinned slaves still black but lighter skinned were doing like household work on the inside and were being like shown to guests um think of the movie like the help where they were like allowed to be you know cook inside and, and things like that and um children like mixed children that were bred from uh, assault on the black women slaves from the masters the mixed children that were bred from that they were treated very differently and they had the ability to um sometimes even like read and write compared to the full black children and I was in um, Colonial Williamsburg last summer and watching, I was, oh yeah, it was Juneteenth, Juneteenth. I was having this conversation with somebody a few days ago actually and there was an interpreter there and she was explaining how her child that was conceived out of that nature, out of assault, um, the master of the land almost raised this child that was his own, that was his blood child and everyone was like why is this wealthy white man hanging out with this light-skinned boy and he taught him to read and write and yeah even to the point that he like gave when he the young boy became a little bit older became a man he gave him like his own plot of land to to have and then gave the dark-skinned mother of the light-skinned boy as a slave so the white master gave a woman to her own son to be his slave on the land which is pretty pretty messed up pretty messed up but she was a really good interpreter and she was like speaking the story with such conviction conviction and such emotion i was like man but yeah and then a little bit later um the Reconstruction era of the late 19th century, uh, lighter-skinned African-Americans had more benefit than darker-skinned African-Americans. And, you know, if you ever heard, like, the paper bag test, where if you were lighter than a paper bag, you were um, able to, let's say, join college fraternities or join, like, upper churches, like, upper-class churches. Um, yeah. Which is like, oof. Oof, oof, oof. 
Okay, next thing I want to kind of talk about is um, tattoos and a little bit of makeup. So, yeah, did I write anything about? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, there was this this statement that I read, and basically, um, women wearing makeup and how we spend a lot of time and money on it and all that stuff, which we already know, but the correlation with femininity and attractiveness and attractiveness and success. And, you know, I, in the very beginning when I was doing, reading a different book called Women Don't Owe You Pretty, we talked a lot about pretty privilege and how now we're talking about how makeup can emphasize that pretty privilege. And there was a study that found that women who consistently wore makeup were considered more competent and made 20% more money than barefaced women, which is like, oh, are women who wear makeup to job interviews getting more jobs than women who don't wear makeup to job interviews? It's just an interesting figure, I thought. Um, yeah. And... Also, there was um, a company, Estee Lauder, noticed that there was a spike in women buying lipstick after 9-11 terrorist attack, and other companies also noticed this as well, and basically that, like, the conclusion that they came from, which I don't know if this is just coincidence or not, you know, take it with a grain of salt, um, that women wear more lipstick when they're stressed. And they're doing it to put on an image that they are attentive and they are not stressed. And they're being the best woman that they can be. Uh, trying to, like, put on more of, like, a mask, I suppose. Like, literally masking their faces with makeup when they're mourning or they're, yeah, feeling feeling down and doubtful. And, yeah. Uh, next one I want to talk about. Tattoos! I love tattoos. I have... Only two tattoos as of now, but I want more, and I always comment on people's tattoos, and I want to look at them. Um, I don't always ask, I also, I never ask about, like, what it means, because sometimes tattoos are just freaking tattoos, you know? I was at Bagels and Beans this morning, and the man making my bagel had a cool black and white tattoo of a bird. It was like a parrot. He was showing me. That was pretty cool. Yeah, basically, in the 1980s... Women were strongly advised to not get large, visible pieces of ink because of the negative stigma that they would face. And now, women are more likely to have tattoos than men are, which I thought was kind of interesting. Like, oh, look at us. Look at the progress we've made. Yeah. Um, so, now it's fine and it's, you know, public expression and artwork and everything. And a quick little story that I learned that I wanted to share with you was this girl named Olive Oatman and basically um, when the Europeans were colonizing the Americas and there was the Native American genocide as we know um, there was this girl that kind of got like abandoned by the Europeans or she got lost or whatever and the indigenous people took her in and a lot of these indigenous communities had ink tattoos to show respect for the elders 
um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was, like, a spiritual status of transitioning from adolescence to adulthood, and, yeah, it was, it was something to be proud of to have, and then when this, oh, yeah, she was an orphan, when Olive Oatman finally, like, left, was taken out of the, it was a Mojave tribe in California, and the Europeans found her, um, they saw that she had ink tattoos from the bottom of her mouth down to her chin, which was symbolized, um, a guarantee of a happy afterlife with their ancestors, so very positive message in our culture, and the, uh, U.S. government, like, thought it was, they were being abused and tortured and stuff when it was really just hospitality and, like, uh, community. Yeah. And this little, um, interesting thing, I think I'm gonna end it on this story because I wasn't paying attention to the rest that I was reading. Um, but, yeah, so, Sally Ride, if you know who she is, she was, um, one of the first ever women to go to space. She was part of NASA. And the the all-men engineers at the time, of course, they were like, oh, well, if she's going to be in space for a little while, we need to give her tampons. And I remember this fact became viral on TikTok, which is kind of funny. Um, so she needs tampons because what if she gets a period in space, you know? Um, they packed her... 100 tampons and she was going to be in space for five days so yeah the, a group of very very the smartest of the smartest fellas you know top space engineers top space scientists were like five days woman 100 tampons seems right and they asked her if that was enough they also packed her um, a makeup bag to go to space in because they assumed she would want to, uh, I don't know, wear a mascara in space. And they asked her, like, hey, what kind of makeup do you want in your bag? And she was just like, no, I'm good. I don't need to wear makeup in space. I'm, I'm Gucci. Then they asked, like, her classmates and they were also like, I, no. And so you could... They didn't, makeup didn't go to space, but it's still in the Smithsonian. And what they felt like she should bring to space was an eyeliner, mascara, eyeshadow, blush, and lip gloss. So, that almost went to space, which is a little bit funny, I think. Uh, yeah. That's kind of where I wanted to, um, to end it a little bit. So... Next week, next week I'll have my thesis turned in, so that's fun. Uh, next week's chapter six, Creep Factors, Virgins, Chivalry, and Sex Objects. So, we'll, we'll, we'll see if I'm in a mental space where I can talk about that. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna go meal prep because it's Sunday night and I have no food. So I need to, I need to go to the shop though. I already went to the shop, I went to the market. So yeah, anyway, I hope you have a lovely week, and thank you for listening. Alright, I uh, love you guys, bye!